Welcome to Morning Devotion with Ken Gurley. Devotions designed to inspire you on your daily walk with God. Here's your host, Ken Gurley. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome. Welcome to Morning Devotion, Wednesday, November 25th, the day before Thanksgiving here in the United States. June, I saw you first in Susan. Yeah, you were the two that I saw first. Thank you for being a part of this. Kirk and Kimmy and Kim and Nancy, thank you. Thank you for making this a part. I know this is a busy week. Um, A lot of people on the road and that you would take the time in the midst of all of the hustle and bustle of this season and just to say, I'm going to make time for my morning devotion group. This is a group that's been encouraging each other all year long. Yeah. And by the grace of God, we're going to continue forward and be a part of this. So thank you for being here, Ted, Ruthie, Lila, Christina, Norma. Thank you. Thank you for making this part of your life. And I I would encourage you, I would encourage you, especially this one today, share with your loved ones and your family members. I think this helped. This helps and it reminds us, it reminds us of something so very significant. Because today, today, oh my, I need to talk to you about what Paul said, being content in all things. And I put my tagline, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah, if you're on the road, if you're traveling, tune in. Thank you. Uh, This is something special. I want to share something very special with you today. For those of you that joined with me, touched my heart many years ago. My wife and I had it framed, and it's been in our house ever since, um, I guess, we've owned a home. Our kids grew up knowing the words to this. We wanted them to see it. It was some of the first words they read. We wanted them to share in its wisdom. I want to set the stage for this framed piece of prose that we've always had in our homes. And uh, let me stay, set the stage for this devotion. Maybe it's just me, but when I read the Bible, it's very hard for me to get my prescribed reading in because as I read the Bible, the Bible talks to me and I talk back to the Bible. I didn't say I talked to God. I, I just talk to the Bible. When I read something and I read like one of the many hard sayings of the Lord Jesus Christ and easier for a camel to go through the eye or one of the hard sayings of Apostle Paul, I'm not just tempted to say, but I, I sometimes say, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. Okay. Confession is good for the soul. Have you ever done that? I, I just give me a thumbs up. If you say, yep, that's me. That's me. And as I confessed to you yesterday, it's, and it's out there now for all to see, that I don't like Thanksgiving sermons, don't like hearing them, don't like preaching them. I just don't like them. I don't like them. It's like sage on turkey and dressing. I don't like it. And maybe maybe because we live in a society that has more than most, and we have to remind people to be thankful, we have grown accustomed to being blessed and reminders to be grateful to me, fall on unhearing ears. It's a problem, one that can be remedied, not through thoughts, but through absurd acts of generosity. Only when we get outside of ourselves do we find the glories of God pouring through us and gratitude returns to our life. So I don't really talk like talking about gratitude because I believe that its only cure, its only source is found When we get out there and we realize we are blessed, we are blessed. Yes, we are blessed. 
Take a moment in time in this season of giving thanks. Do something generous, absurdly generous for someone else, for your church, for a mission, uh, for somebody in need. One of the passages that I've always said, you got to be kidding me, is in Philippians 4. We got a favorite verse in Philippians 4, Philippians 4.13. I I can do all things through Christ who straight. We say that, we say that again and again. But I'm talking about the two verses before that one. Yeah, it actually informs and gives context to that favorite verse of ours. Paul said, I've learned something. I've learned something. I learned something that should inform each and everything that I do. I learned, oh boy, wherever I find myself, whatever situation I am in, I have learned to be content. I know how, Paul said, to be brought low. I know how to be elevated, to ascend on high, to be lifted up in each and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and want. And then he says, I can do all things through Christ. He said, Paul Paul is saying, I have learned. I know how. I have learned and know how to be content, to which I say, you got to be kidding me. Yeah, (laughs) you got to be kidding me. How can you learn contentment in the world that we're in right now? The letter to believers at Philippi arrests our attention. Its theme is joyfulness. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. In the teeth of adversity, Paul said rejoice. This letter is remarkable for a lot of reasons. No Old Testament quotations, rare for any New Testament book. Written from prison, or at the very least, when Paul was under house arrest in Rome. One of the four prison epistles written along with Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. Paul wrote these over a two-year span, it seems. He talked about rejoicing. Under in prison, under house arrest, rejoicing. What a great analogy to 2020, folks. What a great analogy to where we are. 2020, the year of house arrest. We've been confined. Our movement's been restricted. You had a vacation? No more. You had a mission trip? Forget about it. You, you plan to go sightseeing somewhere? Not going to happen. A business trip? visit family and friends, all of that's been counseled. We have been under house arrest in 2020. But I don't know if we can say what Paul said, rejoice. What we notice is that who we are appears under house arrest. When we get locked up, oh my, what's locked up in our hearts show up during the lockdowns. Well, that is profound right there. I can imagine the conversations going on right now. Oh, my March, did you hear what he just said? I sure did, Biff. And he's talking about you. He's not talking about me, Marge. He's talking about you. Listen, Biff, never disagree with Marge. Yeah, you'll learn contentment that way. It's quite possible. It's quite possible that God is speaking to all of us, that we have failed in the school of contentment. We may have a 4.0 in math and sciences, straight A's in English and literature, perfect scores in history and geography. We can point out places on the map from our memory, but we've never explored the discontentment that's at the root of our own souls. We know places, but we don't know ourselves. We know people, but we don't know ourselves. Paul said, I know something. 
It's a great secret. I learned how to be content in all things. And by the way, all things, in the Greek, that means all things. Yeah, in everything. Paul said, I have learned to be content, to which we again reply, you got to be kidding me. Well, let's start. Let's start here. One reason we find this hard to believe is that we are taught to be discontent. We are taught to always challenge, never, never settle for mediocrity, always strive for the best, always reach for the stars. And the idea of not doing that, well, it's anathema to our culture, to who we are. We strive for excellence. We want things to be done just so, so. In one sense, that's not good. Um, we live in a world filled with discontented people. Every moment you can see it. Every moment in this life, people are showing their discontentment. When the weather's too hot, too cold, too humid, too wet, they're discontent. <clears throat> when the jobs aren't fulfilling enough, when the money is not right, when the credit isn't there for what they do, the pat pat on the back, the attaboys, when the holiday traffic, well, I'll just leave that one right there. You see the discontentment on people's faces, screen time, that's what we call it. It's at an all-time high during the house arrest of 2020. Whether we're staring at our smartphones, whether we're looking at computer screens and tablets and media, and uh, we, we say, we say, this has been a year. 2020 has been a, has seen a rampant uptick in screen time. You, you may be out of a job, but the tech moguls are doing pretty well in this season. I saw something really curious a few weeks ago. I was driving somewhere and stopped with the rest of the traffic at intersection. A few, I was a few cars back from the light, just waiting our turn and uh, trying to be patient. Yeah, that's rough. I could see up ahead no traffic was moving through the intersection. Our light was red. It wasn't our turn to go. That meant someone else's light was green. It was their turn to go, but nobody was moving. I thought, well, maybe the power is out. But then I noticed something. The cars I could see on the cross street, each driver was looking down at their smartphones. I assumed it was their turn to go, but they didn't go because they were absorbed. They had checked out. They were elsewhere. And the people behind them must have been as well, at least the ones I could see, because they weren't honking their horns, horns that's nearly a capital offense in Texas. But about that time, I saw our light turn green and nobody moved. No one moved when our light was green. It turned yellow, turned red again. Everybody was in another world. They were checked out. They were elsewhere. We've been under house arrest. And a sign of our discontentment is I'm here but I wish I was there. Discontentment is normally, not normally a good thing. Now in the spiritual realm, we do speak of a holy discontentment. Paul said, I, I'm seeking to apprehend that which with which I have been apprehended. I've got to know him in the power of his resurrection, fellowship of his suffering. Paul viewed each setback as a chance to know God better. Each advancement as a chance to apprehend and comprehend more of God. That's a holy discontentment. And we're taught to seek that. Phillips Brooks, 
uh, a famed preacher, one of the stalwart preachers, grandson of Jonathan Edwards, president of Princeton University. He, he once preached, he said, sad will be the day for every man when he becomes absolutely contented with the life he's living and with the thoughts that he's thinking, with the deeds that he's doing, where there is no, not forever beating at the doors of his soul, some great desire to do something larger, which he knows that he was meant and made to do. I, I, I believe that there should be something within us that desires for more, like the prayer of that man named Jabez in, in, in Large My Coastlines. We seek advancement. We seek the favor of God. But even then, can I tell you, Rick, Rick, be cautious because grace must invade our lives. I don't know of a single solitary soul who puts a check mark on each task that needs to be accomplished every day that empties the inbox of mail and email out each and every day, that responds to all social media messaging, that lays their head on the pillow at night and says, I have done everything that I set out to do today, yesterday, and for a forever of yesterdays. No, we start, we stop, we get sidetracked. This, this gets our attention. This distracts us, interruptions, emergencies, sicknesses, injuries, setbacks. So even in our holy discontentment that we want more, you and I have got to arrive at a place of grace and say, God, you see what I want to do and hope to do and what I've tried to do. But would you accept my offering today? I just want the grace to get through the day. I want to learn contentment. Paul was in prison. Roman imprisonments were in tough, no concern for meals, basic necessities, no plans for just or speedy trials. He had been in prison in Caesarea a few years. In Rome, he had been in prison and house arrest for years. As he was confined, his relationship with God emerged. These epistles that he wrote, that's where they came from when he was locked away with God. Paul said, I had to learn something. And it didn't come naturally for me. I had to learn to be content in good times and bad times to discover, God, you're here, you're with me, I can get through this. Joseph Heller wrote the novel Catch-22. He was at a party of the wealthy and affluent in the Hamptons. And a friend came over and pointed at the young executive across the room at the party. And he said, you see that young man? Joseph, he made more money last year than you'll ever make in your entire lifetime with all your books combined. Joseph Heller thought about it and said, maybe so, maybe so. But I've got one thing that man will never have. His friend was skeptical and said, oh, yeah, what's that? And Heller replied, enough, enough. I've got enough. If I'm abased, Paul said, I have enough. If I'm elevated, Paul said, I've got enough. Do you feel that way? Do you feel that way in 2020? Paul entered the school of contentment and discovered the secret that so many have before him and after him, that God's going to see you through, that God and God alone, that's what you need. There's a book that I read years back. When the game is over, it all goes back in the box. That's the title of the book. John Ortberg wrote the book. Finish playing whatever game you like, but he learned a lesson from his grandmother, when the game is over, it all goes back in the box. Life is a series of boxes. When we're born, we're put in a box called a cradle. We live in a box called a room or a house or an apartment. We sleep in a box called a bed. We work in a box called buildings, warehouse, offices. We drive into boxes called cars. And when the game of life is over, it all goes back in a box called a coffin or a grave. Philip Yancey wrote of a person 
who was trying to find the meaning of life. And he booked a few days at a monastery of all places where he could find solitude and quietness to seek after God. The monk who accompanied him to his humble quarters left him with these words and said, I hope your stay is a blessed one. If you need anything, let us know and we will teach you how to live without it. We need to be learned. We need to be educated. and We need to learn how to live without some things. Paul said, I didn't have my freedom. I was under house arrest, but I've learned to be content in all things. Can you just give it up for the Lord right there? Paul, how did you do it? How did you do it? Paul never explained how, but rather he revealed who. It was on the heels of that. He said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. His presence, his spirit flowing in me. Fruit of the spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the long suffering. They were my schoolmasters. They were my schoolmasters in content me. They taught me that it's not important, so much important what's going on out there as what is going inside of here. They taught me my assignments, my assessments. They taught me and I've learned well. I have learned how to be content in all things. In 2020, we're not a happy camper. We're not a happy nation. We're watching America's values fall apart. And we're not pleased that the masses have turned their backs on God. And we're not going to be quiet in the face of evil or tyranny. And yet, yet there is within an inner man a serenity, a strong assurance, a contentment that God is working his plan and he knows what he is doing. So be at peace, my soul. Whether we get the contract, the next promotion, the next elevation, be content. God is with us. Whether we experience setback, loss, misfortune, sickness, we understand God is with us. We entered into the school of contentment. And we are graduating each and every day when we discover God is enough. I know we get frustrated. We get frustrated when things don't work out as we hope and plan. And our frustration can get so great that we lose sight of the simple joy of knowing God, of being blessed by people who love us and whom we love. Don't ever let frustration crowd out contentment. Be at peace. Max Ehrman was a lawyer in Terre Haute, Indiana. And one day he wrote in his diary, I should like, if I could, to leave an humble gift, a bit of chaste prose that had caught, that had caught up some noble moods. That chaste prose that Max would write over a century ago was called Desiderata, Latin for things to be desired. That's what we have framed in our house. It means so much to our family. Can't say I agree with every word, but it captures to me the sentiment of the Apostle Paul. Here's Desiderata. Go placidly amidst the noise and the haste and remember what peace there may be in silence. As far as possible, without surrender, be on good terms with all persons. Speak your truth quietly and clearly and listen to others, even to the dull and ignorant they too have their story. Avoid loud and aggressive persons. They are vexatious to the spirit. If you compare yourself with others, you'll become vain or bitter. For always, there will be greater and lesser persons than yourself. Enjoy your achievements as well as your plan. 
Keep interested in your own career, however humble. It's a real possession in the changing fortunes of time. Exercise caution in your business affairs for the world is full of trickery. But let this not blind you to what virtue there is. Many persons strive for high ideals and everywhere life is full of heroism. Be yourself, especially do not feign affection. Neither be cynical about love, for in the face of all aridity and disenchantment, it is as perennial as the grass. Take kindly the counsel of the years, gracefully surrender, gracefully surrendering the things of youth. Nurture strength of spirit to shield you in sudden misfortune. But do not distress yourself with dark imaginings. Many fears are born of fatigue and loneliness. Beyond a wholesome discipline, be gentle with yourself. You're a child of the universe, no less than the trees and stars. You have a right to be here. Whether or not it's clear to you, no doubt, the universe is unfolding as it should. Therefore, be at peace with God. And whatever your labors and aspirations in the noisy confusion of life, keep peace in your soul. With all its sham, drudgery, and broken dreams, it is still a beautiful world. Be cheerful. Strive to be happy. That's the last line of Desiderata. Strive to be happy. It dovetails with Paul Satan. I've learned contentment. It was at the close of John Quincy Adams' life. He was a congressman, the only U.S. president to ever serve in Congress after being commander-in-chief. He viewed his life as one of service. It was one day in the House in 1848. He was on the floor of Congress when the Speaker of the House addressed a question to John Quincy Adams. He rose to his feet to answer, but then suddenly collapsed. He would stay in a semi-conscious state for a few days, but his last words were, this is the last of earth. I am content. None of us, none of us know our last day on earth. So learn contentment today. Share this with your family. Share this with your friends during this holiday season. Why don't we all enroll in the school of contentment? You know the drill? Like the page, follow the page, share the page, leave your prayer requests, encourage one another as I know and see you've been doing during this whole time. May the peace of God go with you. And may you earn a bachelor's degree, a master's degree. May you get your PhD in contentment because in this season of house arrest, you need it more than anything else. God bless you. God be with you. I will be with you tomorrow on Thanksgiving Day, just for a short time, but just to say hello and give thanks with you. God bless you. Look forward to seeing you again. Thank you for listening to Morning Devotion with Ken Gurley. Join us next time for another inspiring devotion. To support this ministry, please visit firstchurch.com forward slash give.